Welcome to the Executive's Lounge. This is your podcast host, Christine Fauner. I am bringing you amazing stories from amazing women in leadership from across the globe. Let's get started. All right. How are you, Lauren? I was, you know, looking at and reminding myself about what we talked about and just kind of going through and I was like, shit, man, I am so excited to chat with you today. This is going to be fun. And I, lo- I love the org that you're working for. It's all right. We're starting today with Lauren Bartolozzi. And I'm going to tell you, I've already started laughing my head off before we've even started. So I am incredibly grateful and glad, Lauren, to have you here today. So Lauren is the vice president of development for Represent Us. And if you don't know about Represent Us, ooh-wee, I'm going to tell you about it right now. Represent Us is a nonpartisan anti-corruption organization that's fighting to fix the current problems and challenges that we face in today's government. So many. They have a mission to unite people across the political spectrum to pass laws that hold corrupt politicians accountable, defeat special interests, and force the government to meet the needs of the American people. It's just you come, but this, this organization, Lauren, just comes out with the words. It is not beating around the bush, and I'm guessing you don't either. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Christine. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I mean, thank you for the the great introduction. Represent Us is certainly a very cool organization, and I joined in January of this year. You know, I was at a moment in my career where I was looking strategically to decide what I wanted to do. Most everybody, right, we have something that really keeps us up at night, that drives us to see better in the world. And for me, that is reproductive justice. It's more importantly, just empowering women and girls and driving equity. But throughout my career, I've done a lot of work in that space. And what I've come to realize is that we have a system that just is inherently designed for these issues to not progress. And so I wanted to work at what I think the root of the problem is, and that's a broken government. Um, We need to change the incentive structures for elected officials so that they are not beholden to special interests and lobbyists, um, and that they're actually working for the Americans that vote for them in elections every year. So that's why I came to the organization. I love that they're punchy, they're fun, they put out hard-hitting, compelling content. Um, We have a really cool Unbreaking America series We've had Jennifer Lawrence, Omar Epps, Ed Helms, um, most recently Sia partnered with us to talk about just like the basic things that we're all concerned with, healthcare, student loan debt, like the energy crisis, um, and why all of that goes back to an ineffective government that is not working for the interests of everyday Americans. Nothing that happens at a national level ever starts at the top. It's always from the grassroots up. Um, So that's a really cool, unique aspect of the organization. Yeah. And I think, you know, we talk a lot on this show about walking into the uncomfortable spaces and having the conversations that matter and are meaningful in our daily lives. And, you know, tell me about local politics a little bit, because right now there's a lot of local politics that are really being hijacked. And I'm just curious, like from your guys's perspective, where 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 are your conversations at right now? So we really work at the ballot initiative level. Um, we don't engage in direct political um, election work, but I would say you know I think the most important part is so many people put their energy and effort into electing re- really well-meaning people into office, and I think that there are 
thousands of them across the country, right? We all, I think most of us anyway, get into this work because we want to be public servants. We see a, a need in our community and we want to be a champion for fixing that. But when people get elected into the current system, they have no choice but to be a part of the game. And politicians spend, I think, somewhere around 70% of their time fundraising to get reelected. And so they're not able to focus any of their time actually doing the critical work that needs to be done on policy initiatives and legislation. We really, our sweet spot is building relationships with community organizations, um, like I said, in cities and states around the country, because those local community organizations have trust with their neighbors and their friends. And we come in and we help uplift their campaigns. We provide resources around how do they fundraise for the work that they're doing. Um, we have a huge group of mobilized volunteers across the country who are ready at the moment for any sort of rapid response work. Um, and so we deploy them to those community organizations and help them get signatures for ballot initiatives, talk to local officials about why things like ranked choice voting or independent districting um, is really important to have ethical and transparent election reform. And then we train those leaders on how to effectively run campaigns. And importantly, once they get a, a ballot initiative passed, how do they defend it in their city and their state? How do they teach voters about how to use it. I feel like a lot of inactivity or inaction comes from the overwhelming greatness of the problems, you know, that, that you, you look at these systemic issues that are just continuous. And as an individual, you think it's just too big, it's too much. And then, and then you get overwhelmed and you don't act. And I think one of the things that I first experienced in Represent Us was you immediately show people it doesn't have to be overwhelming and you can act. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, so you said it earlier, but Represent Us is a truly nonpartisan organization. And that's because I think one of the things that almost all of us can agree on is that the politics are broken and they're not working. Um, whether you lean super right or super left or somewhere in the middle, you're probably frustrated, fatigued, and just ready to kind of drop out. But we know that there is a strategy that that is proven to change. If you look at things like the Civil Rights Act, women's suffrage, marriage equality, all of those things happened because they started with a steady drumbeat in cities and states mm -hmm. and state by state passed legislation until it hits a certain point, there's a threshold, and then it, it kind of skyrockets and goes to federal legislation. So instead of trying to you know, consume the entire thing, we take small chunks that people can relate to and we build off of that. You know, we have an amazing group of communications, marketing, organizing professionals that really do the work, right? I'm just here to talk about it. I help build relationships with philanthropists and partner organizations to talk about that. But these folks really work so hard around the clock, making sure that anyone who signs up to receive our emails has something that's meaningful that they can engage in that fits whatever their time commitment allows, right? If they wanna give money, we can do that. If they want to help um, get signatures for a ballot initiative, they can do that. If they wanna help train other leaders. Um, and so I think it's just really providing a lot of entry points into something that everybody can relate to. You know, just kind of a funny unplanned thing that happened recently. So I've only been with the organization for a couple of months, but 
In April, someone on TikTok found a video that we did with Michael Douglas four or five years ago. They did like a split screen of a video and this person just said, I just found this. Everybody needs to watch it. It really hits home at what the problem is. I've never found an organization that explains it better and you have to get involved. We had no idea that this was shared. And over the weekend, we saw like tens of thousands of new people subscribing to our list. We raised $100,000 over the weekend. Um, and people started jumping into our volunteer Slack channels ready to like get moving and going. And what I thought was really interesting, we did a little bit of research on this person and they kind of swing in a lot of different directions. They're actually kind of a MAGA conservative, but they also think that Citizens United was one of the worst Supreme Court decisions ever made. And the people that follow this person run across the political spectrum, but they all agree that the system is fundamentally broken and they want to do something to change it. Yeah, that's huge because I think in political discussion that when we polarize, we're getting nowhere and we believe in equitable access to things like voting, then we could probably come to some agreement here on why things are not working in that direction. One of the things you had said when when you first came on the show is, you know, you are an advocate for reproductive rights. You're an advocate for women and girls. How has reproductive advocacy tied into and helped you get where you are today? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, kind of backing up a little bit even further than that, not just specific to gender equity, but I was raised by parents who were pretty, were very liberal. Um, But my dad in particular always kind of modeled to me that like, if you have a voice, use it and speak up for people. Um, question everything, you know, kind of damn the man. Um, And so I definitely was encouraged to challenge the system. I recognize now as a, as an adult, the privileges that I was inherently born with Um, as a white woman who grew up in a middle-class community, I can say and do things that a lot of people can't um, without fear of retribution. But my journey, I think with reproductive justice and women and girls specifically came in college. Um, I had an unintended pregnancy. I went to my local Planned Parenthood. I was able to access reproductive health care and an abortion easily without question, but I saw that it was such a polarized political issue. At the end of the day, it's really healthcare. And I saw a lot of people who could not have that same kind of access because there were so many burdens, whether it was a religious burden or a financial burden, um, fear of their own safety. And so I just naturally leaned into that kind of work and decided that I wanted to be a champion to make sure that every woman or person with a uterus could have access to the same kind of safe, affordable healthcare that I did. And that led me into a career actually working with Planned Parenthood for a while. But throughout the rest of my career, I've always tried to find an ethos where I could be empowering just for gender equity, right? Whether it's working with girls in STEM education, making sure that their barriers are removed for access, um, because studies have shown that around middle school, girls decide they can't or shouldn't be involved in STEM subjects, which is absolutely absurd. Um, So I worked with the National Academy of Engineering, and that was one of the programs that really compelled me to go there. And yeah, I mean, I guess tying it back to democracy work, I just feel like we have a system 
that was designed and it is working as it was intended. And that system was never designed to include everybody and it was never designed to be equitable. And we have an obligation and an opportunity to really turn the apple cart upside down. And I jumped at the chance to be part of that. There's a moment in your life, I think, anybody, where you realize that telling your truest story and knowing your truest story and then being able to really own your narrative, right? Your, your narrative for your own pregnancy decisions, right? When we do that, we can polarize people away from us. And I think that, I think sometimes we shy away from that, especially for me anyways, as a younger person, I would either hide in shame, I would avoid talking about in shame, or I would be worried that somebody wasn't going to approve of me anymore, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a place where when we step into our own narrative and we know that we might lose some people, we decide that's okay. Yeah. And we have to, it's, it's incredibly powerful that we have to decide that's okay because who I am and what I'm doing and what I believe is so important that if I lose you, that's okay. Yeah. I, you said it beautifully. I mean, I don't want listeners to think that I was always this brazen and bold and confident because I certainly wasn't. I also was trying to make a name for myself in a field that while it is predominantly female, the leadership is very much male and has been, and that is changing. But I definitely code switched and put myself into a mold that was seen as this is what success looks like, right? And I think I said this to you when we talked last time, but like it was very much a male, stale, pale, and frail world. It still is in a lot of regards. And I can't tell you like a particular moment that this changed for me, but I do know at some point I decided that my silence only to create comfort for myself was going to continue to perpetuate harm for other people. And maybe it's because I felt like I was comfortable enough in my own financial security and my own career, um, being supported by friends and family who I knew would hold me if I needed to. Um, but there was a moment when I just said, you know, to hell with it, I'm going to share my story. And if I lose people, that's okay because so many other people are continuing to be oppressed because I have the privilege of keeping this to myself. Yeah. I think it is a hard step to make, but I think once you make it, there's no going back. Oh, absolutely not. You cannot put the genie back in the bottle. <laughs> Just like yeah, you, remote work. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. People don't want to go back in the office. You know, somebody, I was looking at, at online the other day at this group I'm in, and this poor woman posted that there's a new office policy that you can't have personal items at your desk at work. And I was like, and you wonder why people don't want to go back into the office. Right. And I just told you I was hanging up underwear on the rack before I got on this call. Like, <laughs> That's life. Like it's right. way more convenient, saves me lots of time. Laundry's done. And I get to still have an engaging conversation. Still a very capable person. Turns right. out at home. I just so frustrating to me. Yeah. We're we're adults. We can do things, right? Yeah. When I think that call back to office is so fear-based. And I always say whenever you make a decision based yeah. off of fear, nothing good ever comes of that. Question for you. So you mentioned that you are a small but mighty team over there at Represent Us. And I'm just curious of the demographic, because I feel like 
in my mind with the messaging, I'm like, man, there must be a lot of like young, voracious, like ready to go get them people. What is the makeup of the team? And knowing what you know about your career and your own leadership development, how are you cultivating those guys into like the next phase when, when we're gone? So you are correct in your assumption. Most of the team are young, like firecracker, ready to go. I'm probably one of the the more senior people um, age-wise. It makes me really proud. Like, I'm so proud of you guys. Those, those yeah. coming up behind us. I'm so proud of them. It's awesome. I love being in my early 40s and being like the old person. Like I'm one of the olds on the team, you know? It's a lot of fun. And the industry that I grew up in, which was more traditional, right? It was higher ed. Um, I've worked again for the National Academy of Engineering. Um, I've worked for some other organizations that just were more established. And so I was used to being kind of the youngest person and it being a lot more formal and structured. But when I got into democracy space, what I noticed is that the culture has changed in such a great way. Everybody's opinions are not only valued, but they're encouraged. Nobody is afraid to tell you if they think that you're wrong, but it's not in a negative way, right? It's to challenge each other to do better. Now, the team that I have in development, were very small. There are four of us. I try to create just an open, transparent environment that says everybody's like ideas are valid and I want to hear them. One, because it's just a good way to do business in life. But also because when I came up through this field, like I very much was a product of whoever sits at the top of the food chain makes the decisions and you don't question them. And I always felt like I had really good ideas. And now that I'm finally in a position where people respect my opinions, I know I have good ideas. And I don't want someone who's in their 20s or 30s to have to wait another 10 or 15 years to get that validation. Because I think about like how we could have like fucked things up earlier and like shook some shit up. But nobody wanted to hear from me because I was like the young person that didn't have enough experience or hadn't been around the block enough. And I just think that that's, you know, it's just wrong. Imagine all the women that could have shaken some shit up if we were just not shut down at every corner. We've all been in the room, right? Where you say something and then a man says it and then it finally gets recognized. Like, I feel like that's changing. And I love to see it. I mean, the demographics, you know, age-wise, it is it does lean younger, um, but we've got a mix of different political ideologies, different religious preferences, dis- different sexual orientations, races, and that is intentional. And we have a really fabulous HR team that makes that a priority for the organization. Um, and the culture of the organization was one of the things that really drew me there. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. You know, when you have, when you cultivate diversity in your organization, and I think a lot of organizations have had these DEI initiatives now for a couple of years. Uh, but once you start making it happen, they don't necessarily have a plan in place or a strategy around how do you get all these people together and actually working together because diversity includes differences. Um, how is that cultivated in your guys's org? How do you bring everybody together? Yeah, so we do it in a multitude of ways. And I think one of the biggest ones is our organizational goal setting. We include the entire staff in that. 
and it's a very democratic process. Everyone gets to talk about what are the barriers to success for the organization. And then we talk about what are the potential solutions. Ultimately, what ends up happening is that we then move down to a smaller subset of the organization, but like confidential voting processes. And whatever gets voted up to the top then becomes a priority for that quarter. And we work towards achieving those things, making sure to hit our mission goals. And I just recently onboarded a new colleague and, and they said, you know, I've been a part of organizations and I would have never been asked to help make these decisions. It's really refreshing. And I want to continue that because again, as someone kind of growing up in my career, I was never brought to the table to make big decisions and set goals. I was handed goals and told, this is what we're doing. This is how much money you need to raise. Go do it. There might not have been data to back it up. There might not have been any anecdotal information to back it up. And so you set people up to fail that way. So if you really want a successful organization, especially if you're doing mission work, like you need to have buy-in. You need to have support and enthusiasm behind that. Now, I'm not going to, I paint things very rosy. Like I've definitely been accused of wearing rosy glasses, um, which means I sometimes can't see red flags. But I will say, you know, not everybody agrees with what we've decided, but everybody has a chance to participate in the process. You you don't have to agree, but if you're part of the process, you can understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What would you consider your biggest roadblock right now? Well, one, getting everything done. <laughs> I think that's everybody's biggest roadblock. Um, I don't know if it's my biggest, but I think it's something that often comes to mind is unlearning old behaviors um, of self-confidence, right? I know that I sometimes can project to be a very self-confident person, and I generally am, but when you have been kind of trained and learned to question yourself before you make decisions or before you speak up, it can be a a challenging process to unlearn. And so I think that's one of of those things. Um, And, you know, an example is just, I know this is what needs to be happened, but I hesitate. And then somebody else might say it. And I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. I should have just come out and said it. Um, And I've been encouraged to not second guess myself. Um, And so I think that's just a, a continual learning process. Yeah, that's Um, a good one. It's funny because I think we talk about this a lot in, in women in leadership. I'm not to generalize, but I'm gonna, um, is that we talk about that. There's like a dichotomy of being like strong, confident, go get it, tenacious, whatever word you want to fill in the blank to sound like a badass. And then we're not allowed to like be the other side of that, which is because then, because then we're weak then we can't Mm -hmm. hang and we're not good enough. Then we get cut out of the conversation. And I think bringing those two pieces back together and talking about them really clearly, I can be insecure this morning and still go kill a board meeting in the afternoon. Right. We can do both. We talked about curiosity. I'm curious if you have a recommendation for us that you would like to share as a resource that we could add to our library from you. So I love Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor. Um, 
I read it a couple of years ago and it wasn't that it was an eye-opening, aha, I need to do this. It was more of a validation that, oh, you can lead this way and interact this way and other people value it. It's allowing people to have conflict and conversation. And again, bringing back, you know, what we were talking about with my team and my colleagues of everybody's opinion is valued and it's encouraged and you can have open discourse and disagree with each other and do it in a respectful and constructive way. Um, and I also really like that you can then come back and make a decision. And even though it might not be the decision that everybody wants or the direction that everybody wants, you make it together and then you move forward. And I think I said this to you when we talked the first time, but for me in mission related work, it's critical because we are not doing what we're doing to sell a product. Not that there's anything wrong with that, like targeted marketing, I'm your girl. Um, but like we are working on behalf of people, real people with real lives and real problems. And we have to get behind whatever decisions are being made at the organization so that we can have the most positive impact on those people's lives. 100% radical candor. Talking about feedback and constructive conversation. That book has it all. It's on my shelf. I have it. I love I that. Uh, Lauren, there's so many amazing efforts and impacts that you guys are making. How can we find out more information about your organization and anything else we should know before we stop listening today? Yeah, thank you for asking. So our website is represent.us. Um, go to the website, check out some of the stuff that we've done. I think in particular, our Unbreaking America film series are really cool. Some of the things we've done with, like I said at the beginning, Ed Helms, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, and then if you feel so moved, sign up to be a Commonwealth donor. Um, Commonwealth donors are a critical group of people. They make monthly gifts. 100% of it goes directly to the work we're doing on the ground to fight uh, for a better democracy. Um, and reach out to me on LinkedIn, you know, if you want to get involved or you want to learn more. Oh, I love that. Yes, we will all, as always, we will have the links to getting more information uh, in the podcast description for this episode. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. What an invigorating conversation. It was my pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, connecting a little bit more. Thanks for joining us today in the Executives Lounge, where we bust open the doors, slam through the ceilings, and make sure that we have a spot at the table and that we are the lounge. I am Christine Fauner, your executive leadership expert, continuously looking for those executive leaders that seek community, continuous learning, and have a desire to find the next adventure. Join us next time. Join our Facebook group, Roam Your Soul, and you can also find us on Instagram, at Roam Your Soul. And don't forget to check out the website for upcoming adventures, www.roamyoursoul.com. And if you're looking for that next executive level leadership coach, you can find me at roamyoursoul.com slash Christine Fawner Coaching.